Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, good morning. Welcome to the Atlantic Council's Rafiq Hariri Center for the Middle East. My name is Fred Hoff and I'm the uh, center's director. Uh, this morning, we're very fortunate to have a program that reflects the essence of the work being done by the Hariri Center. Many of you are aware of and familiar with the report of the Albright-Hadley Middle East Strategy Task Force. That report recommended a strategy, a regional strategy, rooted in partnership. The new strategic paradigm uh, that was recommended would have external actors led by the United States working with internal actors in a top-down effort to end the region's wars and a bottom-up effort to harness the largely untapped excellence of impressive human capital within the region. For as far as the eye can see, the Hariri Center's work will focus on identifying practical steps to implement the findings and recommendations of the task force report. Since the founding of this center in 2011, we've been blessed by the presence of one of the world's top Libya experts, Dr. Karim Mezran. Karim will moderate a discussion on ending the civil war in Libya with five extraordinarily distinguished and well-informed panelists. Uh, those of you who are with us in person and watching via webcast are welcome to join the conversation and submit questions via Twitter using the address at AC Mideast with hashtag AC Libya. That's at AC Mideast with hashtag AC Libya. So now it's my great privilege and pleasure to introduce my esteemed colleague, Karim Mezran, who will introduce the panelists and then stimulate what I think will be a very interesting and informative discussion before we turn it over to you for questions. Thank you. Thank you very much, Fred. I have the impression to be in the interrogation room with these lights in front of me. So <laughs> I'll do something I'm not supposed to do, which is stand up here and address the panelists. We are supposed to be interrogated. <laughs> right, right there. Thank you very much, Fred, for your nice words and your presentation. You have all the biographies of the speakers in front of you, so I will not go through them. It's an, it's an outstanding panel, and I'm really looking forward to, to hear what they have to say. We have decided uh, a while ago at the Atlantic Council to, 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 to adopt a different method for this panel. Rather than having every panelist sit, sit, sit and present for 10, 15, 20 minutes, whatever that is, we have decided to go through the moderator asking some questions to each one of the panelists, and then at the end of it, allow you to ask questions and, and intervene in the debate. So that makes it more dynamic, and that makes it, uh, I, I would say, less boring, <laughs> which is, which is, which is uh, no, a point not to be underestimated. I would like to start right away without wasting, wasting any time. And my first question is for Ambassador Jonathan Weiner. Jonathan has just received the highest, the, 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 the highest award of the State Department for his distinguished service in the, 
in his, in, in his position as the U.S. Department of State Special Envoy for Libya. And uh, I think you all know Jonathan and what he did for Libya and how he worked for, for, for in the service of the country, in the service to find a negotiated solution to, 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 to the crisis. My first question to Jonathan is uh, an introductory one, Jonathan. Can you provide an evaluation of the negotiation process and its current status, and how do you see it moving forward? Sure. Um, late last fall, I had the opportunity to meet with El Siraj, the Prime Minister. I met with uh, Haftar uh, a couple of times and with his senior people uh, separately as late as um, early December, late November, and I met with Aguila in December. Each of them told me that they were in charge of the country and were the uh, sole legitimate source of, uh, of power and authority in the country. Al Siraj was ready to negotiate with Aguila and on behalf of the Presidency Council and the GNA and ready to negotiate with Haftar. Haftar's people said Haftar's not negotiating with anybody. He's going to take over the entire country by a mixture of conquest and guile and will then appoint uh, political people to do the civilian kinds of things and will rule for a number of years till Libya is ready for elections, and then will eventually go back to his barracks. My response, I was still special envoy at the time, was red light, and we'll organize everybody else as a red light. This cannot happen. Better path would be for you to negotiate a deal with Aguila, negotiate a deal with El Siraj, come together for the good of the country, create an interim government, and have elections in early 2018, the two-year anniversary of the signing, setting up of the government under Skorat. That was the approach that I recommended. I discussed it with the Emiratis, the Egyptians, the Turks, the Qataris, all the Europeans, the Algerians. Everybody pretty much sees it the same way. That's what needs to happen. But uh, the Egyptians, 10 days ago, two weeks ago, got together, uh, Aguila, uh, Haftar, and Al Siraj, at least Haftar and Al Siraj in Cairo. and. Uh, they were in adjoining rooms, once again, and Haftar would not meet. So there was not a willingness to come together to create legitimacy in this country. You've got to get the most legitimate entities, which doesn't mean they're perfectly legitimate, but ones with sources of power. And Skrat is a source of power, as is an army, as is a title of Speaker of the House, and a parliament you somewhat control, uh, to cut a deal. And they've been unwilling to do that. Aguila most recently said elections January 2018. So that part of it is alive. Interestingly, as I was on the way out, Aguila and Haftar's people came to me. Once Mr. Trump was elected, I was in passive mode. I wasn't, I'm going to go solve Libya's problems. My response was, I'm ready to listen and support as best I can for the duration. They continued to come to us looking for solutions. There's a crisis of legitimacy there. No one has it completely. Uh, if Haftar is, uh, is the most popular person in the country, he should get elected. If Aguil is the most popular person in the country, he should get elected. If El Siraj is the most popular person in the country, he should get elected. They need to have a legitimation process to bring the democracy forward in order to more fully allow a government to form. That's how I see it. If Algeria and Egypt are working in tandem with Tunisia, as a buffer, that is a good thing, because potentially that kind of regional initiative can be energizing and bring people together. It doesn't mean I'm optimistic about it, but I'm not hopeless about it. And there's an opportunity there. Thank you. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you very much.
My second question, I'd like to address to Azza Mavuro. First of all, Azza, thank you very much for being with us. Okay. I know you are very busy and you have a very busy schedule, so I really appreciate you coming. Azza is not only a good, uh, good old friend, but it's also one of the, of the Libya's best lawyers and an activist and a militant. So we are very, we are very fortunate to have her here. My question for you, Azza, is the following. From your writings, other, uh, as well as from your speeches, I gather the idea that you are skeptical of the whole UN-led political dialogue enterprise. What are the roots of this skepticism? And do you really believe that the HR has a better role to play? Yeah, thank you very much for receiving me here today. Um, well, you, you, sometimes I feel that your question implies that if I am not uh, in favor of the uh, political agreement, then I am in favor of the HOR. Now, I want to say... Well, it's a, it's a polarized environment, <laughs> no, it's okay, so it's yeah, 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 but it's just, to, to put things straight, I, I, I think uh, Mr. Weiner said that there is a not full legitimacy. Well, for me, there is no legitimacy for whatsoever uh, entity today in Libya. And the fact that you're trying to say somehow, yeah, they have some or there is some legitimacy is actually leading to this uh, political agreement that is not going to function and it's not going to work, in my opinion. Uh, I, I am skeptical, and I think I'm proven to be right for several reasons. First of all, uh, the, uh, the political agreement has its own ingredients of failure. When you say that you require unanimity for all decisions of the uh, presidential council, this is, this, is, this is what the agreement says, and not one decision has been taken anonymously, then this is a big trouble. How can you uh, evaluate Mr. Siraj or, or uh, uh, decisions, including signing agreement with Italy? If, if there is no anonymity, the anonymity required in the, in the uh, political agreement is not fulfilled. Uh, secondly, this agreement has uh, ingredients of exclusionary. You did not include the ex-regime's uh, people. If you want to build up a country, then you have to include everybody. You have to be inclusive. To the contrary, actually, this agreement includes some, some word, wordings that says, for example, we owe the, the, uh, the revolutionary our lives. Why do I owe them my life? Why do you have these kind of wordings in the agreement? Or that you know, uh, the, we will never go to the dark era. What, what about this era? Isn't the, that era is dark, as dark or even darker than the era that, 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 went, uh, that elapsed? So th these kind of things shows that this was not a genuine, in my opinion, agreement that can be uh, realized. Again, in this agreement, you don't have any mechanism for the international community. Are they overseeing the agreement? If, if something, uh, if, if any, uh, uh, any uh, violation happens, who would tell them there is a violation here? The, the, uh, the council, the state council has been uh, established in ag against, literally, against every uh, article of the political agreement. No one stopped them and said, everybody's dealing with them. <laughs> and this, the whole process of establishment is against, completely against, legally I'm talking here, legally, against the political agreement itself. But no one said to Mr. Uh, Swahili, well, how, how, how have you been elected? How have you been gathered in this room in Mahari and make, uh, establish this, this? Everybody's saying, well, okay, that's okay. You can violate the agreement as much as you want, as long as things are good. For, for the international community, as, 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 as long as we are satisfied. Now, the second thing is something called the procedural issue. When does the agreement enter into force? Mr. Weiner says, and I agree with him, there's only one year that is, is left for this agreement. Whereas, Mr. Kobler says it did not get into force yet. Now, how can this be explained? Can you, can you, can you conclude an agreement without this major, major element, which is when the agreement enter into force. Give me a date. It's not written in the agreement. 
just let, they left it float, floating like this because they want to make everybody happy. So for me, I'm not only skeptical, I think it's a failed agreement in my opinion. Very good. Now, uh, I'll, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we can have a whole day just, 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 just on this. <laughs> let's keep through. Let's move to another argument that is, that is particularly uh, uh, important to me. And I'd like to ask this question to Federica, who is a military historian from Italy. We are very, very fortunate to have her, uh, her with us. And my question is, Judging from your work and your experience as a historian, it seems to me that you are skeptical about the possibility of Libya remaining united as a state. Do you really believe that dividing Libya into the three historical regions could be a solution? Is it possible? Is it a feasible solution? Okay. Uh, this is a big day. This touches, this touches the, the whole issue of federalism, not federalism. No, the point is that, um, I've never, in reality, I've never thought that Libya has to be divided. On the contrary. I think that in this way we cannot go anywhere. So uh, the agreement, uh, as Aza was telling, didn't work and is not working. And so I think that uh, what we have to do is rethink all the process because uh, of course revolution, uh, revolutions take time and so we have to be very patient with this. But um, in this way I think, uh, think things are not going well. So the, the idea of a federalism is, is nothing so special, is nothing so revolutionary in many respects. Because we have many federalism in the world and they are uh, here in the United States, states we know very well. So um, there's nothing wrong. I think that the idea of just uh, starting from the top and then moving uh, to the bottom is wrong because we, we don't have a state. We don't have a tradition of a state. And uh, people are not used to this after 40 years uh, of Gaddafi and before we had a little bit of Idris, but you know what it was. And then we had Italians before. So Libyans are not used to be a state. And so I think that we have to start step by step and uh, trying to, yes, create a, a sense of nas nationality, so from the, top, the, from the top, of course, but then from the bottom, starting like this, and accepting the, the diversities of the three regions, like in Switzerland, for example. So it's not that I, I'm, I've never said I want, I'd like to, to have a Libya divided, but just trying to get the best from the regions. And then, uh, of course, uh, having a, a government and, and so on, but a, a, a strong localization, I think. Because it's, it's already like this now. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. I, 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 the only problem I have to, to this story of federalism is, is, the, is there an existence of three regions? Or uh, why? Oh, ha, 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 ha. From somewhere, How do you talk about? we have to start from somewhere, you know, and uh, the idea of the three regions exists because uh, since the Italian uh, colonization, we had three regions and before as well, and uh, they are, they're always, it's a kind of morphological, geographical problem as well. So I think that in some way we have to change uh, our vision. On this we have a dynamic relationship because I strongly disagree with it. <laughs> but we okay. are still friends. 
Okay, yes. It proves that Libyans can, can disagree with Very someone without shooting at Of course. Nebras. Finally, it's your turn. <laughs> I have a question for you. You have done a lot of work on the ground with women, youth, and minorities. Yeah. This has exposed you to local communities and dynamics. <laughs> has this led you to think that a bottom-up approach, as similar to the one that Federica was, was talking about, this one that relies on the tribal elders, local elected politicians, and influent personalities on the ground, could be more effective in rebuilding the state and institutions? As an active from the ground, I'm, I will say um, most of the solution that I can see now, it's started from the top, from outside. Like, um, this is the bubble. No one look inside. You just look outside. You try to contain it from outside. But you don't see from inside and what's the problems inside, what's make the um, conflicts um, inside. So from, um, yeah, give me a second. Has the condition translated a little bit for me? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is a question. Oh, uh, can right. you just repeat the question again? Just yes, no, in practice, my, the bottom of the question is, from your experience on the ground, yes. do you really believe that building up the state from the bottom is easier or is, or, 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 or is better, whatever better means in this sense, yeah. than the bottom up, than, than, than the top down? I was afraid, down, just then. I don't want to misunderstand, yeah. Yeah. yes. Um, yeah, as I said, like, um, it's all the international, they look from outside, they don't look from inside. The problem that if you need to fix something, you need to start locally, as Miss um, um, she said. Like we start start from the um, cities, Dernas, Beidas, um, um, Tobrogs, um, Zwara, Zawiya, something from inside. Each city they have their own problems, but at the same time we all the ha we have like common problems together. But if you wanted to fix, you start like we will start with Zawiya. What's their problems? Who knows? Zawiya's people knows. So you need to talk to them and figure out what, how we can f solve. If you start doing um, things from uh, bottom, then go up. F family, city, um, like we will say re region, like um, one area, then go to the city, then go to the national, the whole country. It's, it's, by the, uh, it's like this. Um, the problem right now in Libya, that we have like four governments. And these four governments locally, they are not accepted. They see like each, uh, we, we start with the GNC. This is the only elected, like um, we say, um, the only one we, are, or the whole Libya elected this, the GNC. And we accepted it. The one in 2012. Yes. And after that, we have the HOR, but the HOR, Elected by some cities and some cities they couldn't because of the situations inside the cities. But also they run out, like they have the decision on those cities, like Derna and um, um, if you remind me, Azza with me also, I think Derna, Z only Derna, only Derna, only Derna. Yes. That's right, in, in neither election, neither in 2012 nor in, in But also there is people participate Derna, even they are not elected by Derna's people. Yeah. So here, the problem, the people inside, or like what they said, they said they have no voice outside, the local, the people itself, they have no voice outside. <laughs> who they have the voice? The militias, the governments, people who have the power. 
And here's the problem. Like, you didn't communicate with the local people, with the normal people. You communicate with who, with who having the power. OK, the militias. Why you communicate with them if they, have the, if they are the source, one of the source of the problems? So why you give them more powers to communicate with? This is one of the, uh, also, the, uh, as I said, the four governments or the governments. Each time we have something new. We have one, two, then we have uh, the third one uh, or the fourth one. It's uh, Saraj, the final one. Even with the Saraj, it was not like accepted by the local because it's come by international decisions. Okay, Saraj, he did these things. They agreed with him. They, um, he signed this paper with them. They agreed. With, okay, he will become the, pres uh, the head of the, um, the government and he will um, lead Libya. So here, I, I, I can see from my point of view, international, they are not looking seriously to solve the problem inside Libya. They need it just for, um, to calm down the situation in general, but like out, out the bubble. Just like this problem, not separate. Not like coming um, to Egypt or to Tunisia or to other places. Okay, you have a problem, contain it in your country, but don't make it outside. What we have here, we have benefits. So we need to stop in these things. Yeah, sorry. We have this benefit, we exchange in this, and they, no one tried to solve this problem from, from um, the real problems. No one tried to solve it. No one. Food for thought. Yeah. Jason. Having followed Libya for many years, and from both Europe and the United States, what are your thoughts about the behavior of the various international actors regarding the Libyan crisis, which, which she just mentioned about? Do you see at this point in time a convergence of interests between Western and regional actors, or a divergence of interests? And how do you view the newcomer, Russia, in the picture? Well, this is a very important moment to be asking this question as alliances are shifting on the ground in Libya with the seizure of the oil crescent ports by the Benghazi Defense Brigade and then whether or not they're going to be handed over to forces aligned to the GNA. I like to look at it that the complex stakeholders that exist in Libya and their fluidity of alliances is mirrored on the international scene, that the, the internationals are as, you know, multifaceted in their alliance structures, which change all the time. So to get some perspective on this, we have to look back to what Jonathan has, has uh, done and said, that the, the UN mediation process run by the international community through the UN is separate from, but in theory should hopefully work together with the regional mediation process which is sometimes called the Libyan-Libyan dialogue, but right now is actually spearheaded by Egypt and Algeria. On the one hand, they're trying to achieve similar aims of bringing the GNA and the HOR together to forge a genuine unity government. But I look at it as a competition where different regional and international actors are each trying to, quote unquote, dominate the Malif Libi or the Libya file. And this is a standard kind of parlor game in Middle Eastern politics, where different regional actors each try to dominate a particular file, even if the, the goal of domination is to be a mediator between multiple actors. So let's use that as a way to contextualize this. As of March 2017, where we are right now, 
Egypt and Russia are trying to establish themselves as the key interlocutors and to dominate this Libya file. And what are their aims? Maybe that will increase their power on the world stage. Maybe that will allow them to set the parameters of the solution inside Libya. So to understand how we got this to be the case, I think we need to recap the various cleavages in the international community towards Libya from the 2011 uprisings until the present. So to do that very briefly, in 2011, most of the international community was actually on the same page. No key actors opposed UN Resolution 1973. But since that point, things have frayed. And you have to remember, it's true that Russia and China did not veto. They only abstained in 1973. But in practice, they sat out both the no-fly zone and the actions um, diplomatically. So now, while the revolution was being prosecuted, you had different blocks supporting different militias. And these are the roots of the proxy war that has unfolded in Libya since Gaddafi was toppled. It was present in its kernel form while the revolution was happening. To simplify things, let's look at these as two clusters. There is the UAE, Egypt, Saudi cluster, which is to some extent connected to the Western countries. And then there's the Turkey, Qatar, Sudan cluster. And for those of you who are not Libya experts, you can see these same cleavages playing out in Syria, of course, where the Qataris and the Turks back a certain group of militias, and the Saudis and the UAE work with another group of militias. Some people like to explain this as the anti-Islamist and the Islamist factions, respectively. So that's kind of the 2012 to 2014 picture. As you're aware, in the summer of 2014, we have the Tobruk-Tripoli split. And this merely reinforced those cleavages with the UAE and Egypt doubling down on Tobruk and Turkey and Qatar doubling down on Tripoli. As Jonathan has helped me understand, it was really in 2015 that as a success of US diplomacy, the role of Qatar was more marginalized. And successful mediation efforts were able to move forward to bring together these international actors to culminate in the Sherat Agreement. However, sitting here as we are in the beginning of March, we have to ask ourselves, does BDBs taking the oil crescent mean that the role of Qatar and Turkey has reasserted itself and that the proxy war dimension of these two blocs is playing out via the way that the patrons interact with their client militias? So to answer this, we look back to the end of 2015 where the UN mediation under Bernardino Leon culminated in the GNA. I see the US and the UK becoming the main supporters of the GNA after that point, while Italy and France, while nominally supporting the GNA, also worked with Haftar. And to some extent, this has to do with their connections militarily with Egypt. Um, that was the pattern through 2015. But in 2016, developments such as the US election cycle, the Brexit vote, this facilitated a vacuum of Western engagement. And into that vacuum, Russia has attempted to step as the HOR's number one international backer. And this dynamic of a Russian attempt to achieve dominance over the Libya file, while the West has kind of withdrawn due to internal chaos in our democracies in 2016, we could see this as an attempt to displace the US-UK-UN approach. Simultaneously to this, and hoping in a way not to be outdone by the Russians in their attempt to dominate the Malifa Libya, 
we have this regional coalition that Jonathan mentioned of Algeria, Tunisia, and Egypt, which could, as he pointed out, reinvigorate the UN process, or it could replace the UN process. Um, I see that neither of these things or any of these things will be successful because neither have the real power to bring the stakeholders on the ground in Libya together or to align the allies. They're too weak. <laughs> Therefore, only American leadership can answer this question. And I hope that the Trump administration sees the events of this last weeks as different international actors trying to work with their local militias and Russian and Egyptian attempts to dominate the Libya file. So very complex constellation. To sum up, at present, in my mind, there's a more divergence of regional and international actors and among and between the different regional and international actors. I see Russia and Egypt separately making a power play to monopolize peacemaking attempts. And they want to do so in a way that would favor the HOR and Haftar as their client. But each would do so also to achieve certain strategic interests. In the case of Egypt, uh, to prevent Islamist leakage back into Libya. In the case of Russia, maybe opportunism, things like warm water port, or trading Libya for uh, interests in Syria or the Crimea. In this vacuum period, Western powers have not responded with a bold initiative that could be seen as backing the GNA to the, to the extent of force that the HOR is being backed by their Russian and Egyptian clients. I hope that many people in the room with me today, um, as well as the Trump administration, will soon want to take a firm stand on Libya, fill this vacuum, and by so doing, coordinate the US, the UK, France, Italy, Germany, and others. The first role is to align the allies. And to end on a positive note, I believe when it's ready, the Trump administration has both the will and the capacity to play a very positive role in Libya and to use a domestic mandate to focus on things like terrorism and immigration, to turn that in a positive way to directly lead on the Libya file. So hopefully we can see that developing over the next weeks and months. Inshallah. <laughs> Jonathan, in hindsight, what do you think Leon, Cobbler, and yourself could or should have done differently to enhance the negotiation process? And is there something that you could have done, or do you think it was doomed since the beginning, or it was? Oh, oh everything has been doomed since the beginning. Okay. Since the apple, the snake. Yeah, the I agree with you. I agree with you. The world's been going to hell in a handbasket for a long time. And don't, we'll don't joke on pessimism with me. You know, I'm the guy who says that there is light at the end of the tunnel. is a train that is coming against you. So, <laughs> Only one train? Not so bad. No, well, well, you you um, beat me up. Leon, Leon wound up doing his secret process for coming up with the GNA when it became absolutely clear that Libyans would never agree. Any Libyan you named would be um, uh, vetoed by some other Libyan. He got from three to four to six to nine in the end um, through a process of accretion to try and represent additional constituencies for a transitional government prior to elections. It happened because the existing governments could neither function nor have legitimacy. So it has been a crisis of legitimacy post Gaddafi, which has been continuing and intensifying. The best that foreigners can do is to align themselves with one another as opposed to 
uh, picking clients, having patrons predict, uh, pick clients and have clients go against one another. The fracturing of the country into div different parts is not workable because the oil doesn't work that way. The oil fields are down here. The pipes go up and down. The terminals are at the top. Too many people could control them. There's no way to divide things conveniently, even if it was a political good idea, which it isn't. Certainly localities need to get benefits from the oil. Money needs to go per capita to the cities so that you have municipal councils, mayors who have re revenues that they can then use to deliver services at the local level. That will be fundamental for the country's future. But in the meantime, you have to have a government that's functioning enough. And in order to do that, you have to have uh, to end the nonstop attacks on legitimacy and functionality, which has been what Aguila has done to El Siraj, and what the Presidency Council members do to themselves uh, as well, and what Haftar has been doing by his unwillingness to deal. So yes, it's very fluid and dynamic, and there are constantly people playing games. Whether the game playing is the United States or Russia or Egypt or Italy or Sudan um, depends on uh, your, your, your point of view, of course, where you sit. Certainly, there was no vacuum in 2016. You can talk about 2017. We were engaged in Libya all the way to the end, meeting with central players with the theme, get together people, join one another, cut deals with one another Libyans for the benefit of the country on a transitional basis so you can then get to elections in a year and create a more functional government in the meantime. It was neutral, it was inclusive, and it was intent, intended to reflect and incorporate local interests and to discourage people from cutting special deals. That's what we were doing to the end. Now, Russia had its um, aircraft carrier with General Haftar in the fall, and it may well have been that Russia and some others were waiting for our elections and encouraging people to stall. Certainly, we saw progress we'd been making in July, August, and September stall out as things came closer to our elections. So that happened. What's the path from here? It continues to be a, a path of inclusion, dialogue, having people come together, compromise on a temporary basis, and then to get to some kind of election process to create a more legitimate Libyan cho chosen institution. Bernardino Leone did what he did because there was no alternative for him. The only other alternative that was out there, which I was pushing for a while and would have pushed further if there had been no Libyan political agreement, is to further freeze Libyan assets and impose some kind of technocratic mechanism on a temporary basis to ensure that money wasn't being stolen and revenues were getting to different parts of the country, and then to get a political dialogue going again to then pick somebody who could run for elections. It was just a different mechanism of getting what Leon got would have been both more rigid and more transparent, and the United States, France, and UK, which would have been the leads on it, would have been made responsible for everything that went wrong in the country, which is one reason the political masters understandably didn't want it. That's the only alternative that I saw at, at that time. Um, Sudan, by the way, played both sides. It wasn't just on one side. It sold arms to both sides. Foreign minister told me so. Um, so you, you've got to get Egypt, Algeria aligned, Russia, the United States aligned, Qatar, Turkey aligned, with Saudi Arabia, everybody pushing for an integrated approach. Otherwise, the country will continue to devolve into civil conflict. The fighting over the oil fields, the back and forth doesn't do anybody any good. It's a way of showing off. I'm in charge here. I'm powerful. You still have to pay attention for me. That helped Haftar a lot when he took the oil crescent from the hated Jadron. 
but it runs grave risk of destroying the infrastructure. And Libya needs the infrastructure because Libya needs the oil to pay salaries to keep the country going because it doesn't have a diffuse economy. So the policy can't change very much. Alternative policies are policies of greater military confrontation, greater risk to the oil, greater risk to having oil production go, get damaged and go down, greater risk to the legitimacy. There's no real alternative to the not very good policy that we have had, which was not a vacuum but stayed in place all the way through 2016. Now, in 2017, I've seen no evidence yet that our new administration in Washington yet has a policy in Libya that's very different from what we did. Uh, the other element of what the United States did last year was we worked with Tripolitanians to get Daesh out of Libya. Daesh does not control any territory in Libya right now. It has cells, but it doesn't control territory. That's a big deal. It can't exploit Libya. So the goal is to maintain that, to thicken the building out of capability of government. They need to have electricity 24 hours a day. They need to have water. They need to be able to import food. Those are basic things. And they need to stabilize economically so that they don't eat up their seed corn. These are um, core realities. The political stuff has to start with those core realities and then move towards re-legitimation through elections of some kind that are Libyan-selected people without the UN or the Americans or anybody else involved in the selection process. That's how I still see it uh, today with all the back and forth that's taken place since my departure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Lots of emphasis on the organization of new elections. That's a good, interesting point to analyze. Hazza, I'd like to ask you about your experience as a lawyer. Do you think is the status of the court system in Libya? What role can they play? You have appealed to the courts for invalidating the recent agreement with Italy. It means this is a signal that you believe in the functioning of the courts still, that you believe in the, that there is some independent entity that that could still, could still play a role in supporting the nation building? Um, I just want to say something which, which is related to your question, but just to answer uh, Frederica's is point. Uh, Frederica is a historian, so she looks at the thing from a historian point of view, whereas I look at things from a legal point of view. Libya is a state. Legally, it is a state. So if, if it's not, then if, is Qatar a state? Is the UEA a state? <laughs> if these are states today, then Libya is a state. There is difference between identity and state as perceived as, as a state. And I just want to say something that three months ago, I came to the States here, and I was taking the plane, I think, from Toronto to, uh, to I don't know where, some, what, Boston, yeah. And someone asked, who is uh, from the US? No one said, I'm from the US. Everybody said, I'm from California. I'm from, I felt very relief. I'm from Colorado. I'm from New York. I said, well, if these people think that they belong to this city or to this uh, state, then why not we feeling I'm Tripolitanian or he's from Benghazi or he's, it, it doesn't make, you know, it does, it's, not, it's not, not something that we should uh, develop. Libyans, for six years now, six years of fighting, let's say, they did not reach a point where they are divided. And this is chapeau for Libya. This is what, how we could see things. If we are not divided during these six years of hatred and civil war, then we are not going to be divided. Unless, as you said, Mr. Jonathan, it was very clear uh, that the international or the, the foreign intervention are, 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 are sending Libya to, to, to a whole scale civil war. And now we have, to, we have to rethink and say, does these people, you mentioned the head of the, uh, 
HOR, the head of the uh, uh, GNC, the head of the uh, whatever, are these three representing Libya now? Well, the, the, Mr. Aguila is a speaker. He is a speaker of the HOR. Mr. Sarraj is appointed by the international community. He has no whatsoever legitimacy from the inside. Who else? Oh, Mr. Haftar, he's a military man. He, he, he's a military, he should not be involved into, into any, any uh, uh, political deal. So are these people gonna solve our, our problem? They're not. Don't expect these people to solve the problem. They're already in power, and they're already get, getting power that they don't have, they don't deserve, and they have no legitimacy. So are we expecting to deal with them, to, 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 to reach uh, elections? I don't think so. I frankly don't think so. Now, with, uh, as you said, mentioning the, uh, the, the legal uh, or the judiciary in Libya, uh, let's just let you tell you something. The judiciary is an old institution, whereas the uh, executive and the uh, legislative are new. So you cannot compare these three together because the, even if, if, if it's affected, the judiciary is affected by war, but still it cannot collapse right away like when you see with the uh, executive or the legislative, because these are new institutions, whereas the other one, the legislative, is an old institution. So it has its own immunity. Taking into consideration also that the judiciary in Libya went through 45 years of civil war, of, uh, sorry, 45 years of dictatorship. So it, it had some sort of immunity, developed an immunity, and it, it knows how to deal with certain circumstances. It's if you know how to deal with the dictatorship, then you are able also to deal with the, with the civil war somewhere. But, I think you, I, I cannot exclude that the judiciary has not been affected by the war. No institution in Libya, not one person even, has been affected, not affected by war. So I, I, I know that there is an effect on the judiciary, of course, but still, I still trust that the judiciary can do something. Uh, and even in the case I brought against the, the, the uh, yeah, presidential yeah. council related to the uh, invalidation of the uh, uh, MU, MOU uh, agreement with Italy. Uh, I have to also admit that the judiciary has been affected more in, in, in the criminal side of the judiciary. So, so criminal courts are affected, of course, more than the civil and the administrative courts. So I still think that uh, you need someone to, to also to, to, uh, to oversee what's, what's happening with the legislative part and with the, with the uh, uh, executive branch. So who, who, who would I go to? I have to go to the judiciary. I have no, I have no other choice. But let's see what's going to happen. Maybe it's next uh, Wednesday that the judge, judgment's going to be uh, announced. Good. And since you, we, we are in the, in the talking about Italy, I'd like to ask Federica the difficult question. <laughs> How do you judge the Italian government's behaviors towards uh. the Libyans? <laughs> okay. Uh, well, first if of they all, strip you of your citizenship, we will give no, you. No, okay. <laughs> No, first of all, I, I'm, I'm talking about federalism as a not because uh, uh, I don't think that Libyans are not united, but because I think that from, uh, um, I, I see this, the diversity, okay, not only in the region, within the region, but uh, between the regions, but uh, within, uh, like a strength. So I think that um, I, I, as an Italian, I feel, uh, even though I was not there, of course, uh, but I feel responsible in many respects for what Italians did in Libya. So I, I really wish the best to the country. And I, I want to tell you this. But first of all, I think that with the, if, we, if we see the diversity and uh, we use it like a strength, maybe 
maybe we can have more than uh, without seeing this, without accepting this. So that, that is my point of federalism. Uh, a united Libya, strength in the regions with uh, 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 strong local governments and a united government, so acting, uh, as, as you said, you know, from both and top. And it's very, of course, it's very complex. I'm not telling that it's easy and it's something that we can have tomorrow. But my idea is this, and uh, talking about Italians, uh, uh, at least I think that their um, vision has been coherent, okay? So they started with uh, Tripoli, and then with uh, supporting the GNA and Seraj, and they are continuing, keeping on doing this. So at least they do not change mind. I do not agree so much, Jason, with the fact that uh, Italy has been uh, with uh, Serraj and with Aftar and so on. I'm, I'm not mm. so sure about this. Um, and uh, about, well, the behavior right now and their ideas, I think that the idea of opening, um, uh, the reopening uh, the uh, ambassad embassy, it's been uh, not such a good idea because uh, Libya is not so much, too much, enough stable at the moment uh, to have an embassy right now. And with Aftar on the other side that can keep and use this uh, opening like a tool, you know, and uh, like a political tool to attack and to divide <laughs> again. So uh, I'm not so sure that this has been a very good idea, frankly. Uh, but of course, I'm not a diplomat, so maybe maybe you could answer. I don't know. Sure. I'm, I'm in favor of foreign embassies being in Libya, as many as possible, in as many locations as possible, in safety. You don't want them to be able to be driven out again. I think it's helpful having them present. You get more information. Um, you get Libya more connected to the rest of the world. That's a good idea. But in terms of security? It's pro-security over time. Having more foreigners there improves the security situation. One of the reasons Benghazi was able to have become a site for so many assassinations and murders was the international presence, having been attenuated, gave more play uh, to the bad guys to be able to then uh, increase uh, their role. And that's, what, that's, that's how I think about it. In terms of support at the local level, assistance and development money should be delivered as locally as possible to build up local capacities mm -hmm. to provide service to Libyans. That's true in any country uh, that is, uh, needs development. It's particularly true in Libya where the central government can barely do the big things. Central government should be focused on electricity, yeah. uh, funding yeah. education, um, and making sure there's gasoline uh, coming in, uh, power, uh, getting the currency into the banks and so That's on. That's my point. Yeah, and so I agree with that point completely. And the problem that we had, and that other countries had of would-be donors, is it didn't matter what city you were working in. It didn't matter what project you had. Getting stuff done in Libya was very hard for all kinds of different reasons, regardless of donor. It worked better at the local level than it did at the national level, but it didn't work great. So uh, I, don't know of, I don't know of any debate. I don't know of anyone who thinks it shouldn't happen at the local level. Everybody who works it thinks it's best, yeah. it's best being delivered at the local level as you can, but you have to have the right service providers who can stay there live, and live there, be in safety. One of the complicating problems with criminal groups generating revenue yeah. from kidnapping people yeah. purely as a matter of, of revenue. 
which is complicating the situation a lot in 2013 and 14. By 2014, of course, pretty much all the foreigners left, which is very bad for Libya. If most of the foreigners left Washington, it would be good in terms of traffic, but in every other way, it would be just awful for us, very damaging. And Libya is not as strong, Tripoli isn't as strong as Washington. Nebras, talk, talk about ISIS, or IS, or ISIS, or whatever you want to call it. After Sirte, is there a future for this kind of organization, similar one in Libya? Do you think that these kinds of organizations could put roots in the Libyan social fabric and prosper, whether there is a state or not? Okay. In other words, in other words, is there is there room for those kind of organizations in the social fabric of the country? It's a very, very big subject that it's about. Um, I we have time. We have the room yeah. for a long time. <laughs> and just excuse my language. I'm not like. Um, perfect English, so that's why. Better I'm than mine. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. Um, <laughs> by, by my, um, I will say my own um, expert, um, I mean, how they start, and in, in, especially in the east, east side, like, um, I will say from the beginning, when Gaddafi um, um, came out in his speech and he said like the east side and he is specific in, in Derna and Benghazi it will be like kind of ISIS and not ISIS it will be like um, extremists exactly to be um, um, in that time we had the person he came to the city um, his, his name is Gumu Sufyan Ben Gumu he came he was not in Derna but he came in that time and he stayed in Derna. I mean, as a, I mean, in, in general, or as Libyans, um, anyone he come and state, we don't like. Okay, yeah, we know someone he is not from the city, but he, when he come, he is welcome. He is Libyan, so we don't have a problem with that. But during the revolution, um, we start like see kind of, up, um, I will say, um, a group come out. Um, from the city, how they came in, how they get, um, they kind, they came in and they start kind of a training inside the city. Um, then um, I wrote about that too much. Like uh, we have this kind of a group, like start with seven or I will say six, ten people, then become bigger and bigger. That time we we announced the government. Most of Abdul at that time we have this. He said, Ah, uh, okay, Nebras. Um, now we have facing Gaddafi, then we will look inside. Anyway, we have this kind of, um, this kind of a group, they start in, but they have no power in that time. But when we look like in 2012, here we have, um, before the Gaddafi gets killed in 2011, they become um, um, more strength, but in hidden. No one was focused in, in this subject. No one was like believed that we will have this kind of subject in, in, in Libya. We, we know that we have some people, Gaddafis, like uh, some of them sent out of Libya and some of them, they were in the present and they came out during the revolution because um, he, he take out of most of the um, present people, especially in Tripoli and to fight with him. What I wanted to say, <coughs> the extremism st starts because, um, I will say from the youth, because they find um, the, the revolution starts for, for the youth. Okay, the youth, they will have, the youth, they will um, 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 
um, have this kind of position. We should think more of the youth. We should give them more opportunities. We could, but after the revolution and what's what happened, the, the youth, they find themselves out of the game. And they find themselves out of um, attentions. So here they split. Some of them, they involved with the extremism, extremism or extremism, <laughs> extremism, yes. And some of them, they become um, what exactly what they believe, more liberal. So here we have kind of division, or um, um, uh, two um, sides, sides with, sides against. Why this group come with this, um, uh, like to be more ex extremism? Why um, they choose to be with this side? Is it like kind of religion? Is it kind of like, okay, I, I have no hope anymore for this life, so I decide just like to die and like what they think, okay, if you die, you go to the heaven. And, um, or like it's a kind of, um, okay, I have no power, I was a cr criminal, and then suddenly I have money and I have power, I have a word in this um, um, area, so I will be more powerful. Here it starts, um, 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 I will say, um, the problems, especially in the east side. We have people, they have already um, 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 or conservatives, like um, Muhafideen, conservatives. So, Conservatives. Conservatives, yes. <laughs> so, um, this kind, um, this kind of a group become um, more, um, I will say, conservatives after um, um, the revolution. Why? This is kind of a question that I, I really was um, looking and, and I'm trying to understand uh, in Libya what's going on, what's happened. Um, after a while, um, in 2013 and 14, um, this kind of, um, especially like after them, um, they said like we will have the militias, they will have any, everyone fight against Gaddafi or a, a fight in the front line, they will have salaries and monies and these things, so we start having these um, fakes militias. Even with the names, they are already were fighting uh, front lines like Abu Slim, like um, 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 uh, Salah Din, like um, a lot of names of militias. They were fighting, but when you come back, it's not the same people who are wearing the front line. Uh, we start having these fake militias with the huge numbers already they, if you have the huge numbers in the beginning of the revolution, if they are really were fighting in the front line, so Gaddafi like he will never stay for two months or one month. But in general, no. Because who are fighting like, it's very like how much? 100,000, 200,000, it's maybe less. Uh, Yeah, here, each city, I will, I will say expert from Derna because I'm from Derna, and I will say from Benghazi because it's my around Derna, Beda, um, Benghazi. We have this kind of, um, um, I mean, these groups came out, like in 2013, we had more than 13 kind of groups, extremists. Each group different than others. How they came out, no one knows. 13 kinds, imagine that, you have 13 kinds of extremism in one city, in one small city. They try to control the city, but because each group, they are the same power, because they are the same, um, 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 I will say, level, 
So they couldn't um, manage the situation in the city. <coughs> they were all from Derna? No. Um, That's an important point. How many of these people were coming from outside? The, actually, if I will say the, at the beginning, it was just like, I will say, 5% um, Libyan and 95% um, outside of Libya. Different kind of nationality. And if you see like how the way they came in and how um, they stay and give kind of a training, then get out and lift the country. And um, each group, they have a level. One of them like stay one week, the other group stay for two weeks. Like each, I don't know how they do that, but like they have this kind of, um, um, yes. So here, I mean, um, if they come in and they, they train, um, um, they're using youth. I mean, the children, um, they age like 14, 15, they still like come up to the life. And they, when they have money, in that time, the country out of money, salaries, there is no. 50 dinar, Libyan, uh, Libyan dinar, and um, this uh, money, it's just like we say, it's enough. It was enough that time. But for the youth, um, if you give him 100 or 1,000 dinar, and that time, they would be kind of luxury. Oh my God, I have money in my pocket without doing anything. Then they try to wash their minds. Um, you will be um, um, a leader. You will be um, a, a, a responsible person. Even if he was a child, they will give him kind of powerful. Um, you will be um, um, a person um, in this group. You will be responsible about this group. You will be. So they try to um, give them kind of, I don't know how, they, they wash their brains. Then um, after, after that, I know one look behind them. No one, um, like, um, if you see a child, he, his, father, his parents divorced. So no one care if he went to this group or no. No one will care. So, um, okay, he become um, an ISIS or he become um, an extremist or he become um, Al-Qaeda. No one will care. Okay. Yeah, it's, I told you it's a very long story. So um, he said, yeah, I have my time. Yeah, <laughs> I was joking. Anyway, I will yeah. try to accept <laughs> I will my say jokes, that. I will kill myself for my jokes. I, I will try to make it short, but the, the conclusion of what I, I try to say, that um, the youth in Libya, they suffered, and no one exactly gave them an attention. And um, became a plane. Actually, if you say, um, how, um, okay, um, Libya, we have an ISIS. Okay, we have an ISIS. But not all of them, they are Libyans. So um, become like Libyan nationality, it become kind of a ghoul or um, um, a buga, or how you say that, a frit. Uh, <laughs> a ghost, yeah. So if he come from Libya, that's mean he have a question, bigger question. No, that means you push him to go to that side. We try to find, um, um, this is one of the problems that internationals, no one work in it. And that's what I mean, like no one work locally to solve a lot of problems. Um, no one try to contain this youth and give them kind of hope. No, if each time they push in the corner and in the dark side, so I don't care. You want it, and it's, you are um, this, from this country, you are like 100% um, an extremist. So um, no, you push even if he was not, so you push him in this corner. So this person or this, um, uh, I mean, um, those youth, they find themselves like they have no solution. They have no hope, especially now. Libya, what's the future of Libya? 
What, would, what should I do as a person, as a youth? I'm thinking from the youth side. What should I do? Should I like go with this um, um, groups, extremists, to have my life? Or should I try to um, solve um, uh, the problems? And um, like um, having um, a hope, like, um, I don't know how, how can I explain it, but um, it's, it's very hard. Yes. Yeah, what the United States was trying to do um, with Ali Zidane and what the French were trying to do with the police and the Italians were trying to do also with the um, um, general purpose force and the Turks was to provide a way of recruiting young men out of militias uh, and in general and give them a, a purpose, a security purpose, give them something to do to get them away from the gangs. Because what you're describing is classic gang activity. You provide gold guns, girls, glory, God in the gang, all the things that you want to secure a young man at very little cost and organize them that way at a time that society is not providing a lot of alternatives. The efforts in 2013 and 14 were to begin to provide alternatives. They failed as the Libyan political <coughs> system was incapable of spending money due to its own divisions internally in support of projects. Almost every kind of assistance project, even at the local level, failed. Not all of them, but most of them, because of uh, differences among Libyans over who should get the money and what projects should actually come into place. So the one group of people who were capable of organizing people were the extremists and the militia leaders. And they got people organized into gangs. And that's the phenomenon you, you're describing. And it needs to be broken up uh, with alternatives, um, which, have, which requires a certain amount of development activity, but also political consensus on how to do it. The gang model is failing Libyans. Um, that's why Daesh doesn't control any territory. Derna is a particular problem, but even in Derna, the local Libyan extremists kicked out the foreign Libyan extremists after inviting them in, as near as I can tell. That's what happened. I agree with that. So Libyans don't like other people telling them what to do, but they do need to get, be able to get organized into viable constructs for living. And the governments have been unable to do that, which takes us back to why it's important to get that carried out at the local level. Thank you, Jordan. Uh, I, I have one last question. Uh, what do you mean by Libyan? They don't take, I'm sorry. What did you say? He Libyan. said Libyan, they don't like to take orders. And yeah. Yes, they don't, like foreign, they don't like foreigners telling them what to do. And some of them don't even, a lot of them don't even like other Libyans telling them what to do. So they're not perfectly human. <laughs> I have one last question for Jason, then we'll pass to the question from the public. As director of the United States Libya Business Association, you have frequent contacts with U.S. companies who are more involved with Libya. Do you see any potential role for them to play in engaging the U.S. administration policies towards Libya? So I do. And to connect some of this discussion that we've had to, to this question, I think uh, Ambassador Weiner has, has said very crucially that the international community must move from the, each country having its client to uniting the allies behind one process. However, sensible people can disagree as to how much of a role we need in the Libyan process. So when I referred to a vacuum earlier, I want to see a heavy stick, and not just some of the carrots that were used. And I think that's important as we begin to think about the business issue. So. For Libya to be a successful state, it needs, obviously, imports of key essentials like food, construction materials, consumer goods, services in every sector. 
And as we see now, uh, electricity generation equipment, given the, the power outages that plague the country. So whether it's infrastructure design, project management, oil field services, development, education, every sort of capacity building. And the Libyan authorities know and acknowledge this. There's no disagreement here. On the question of US companies in particular, many of them have extensive experience working in Libya. And of course, they'd like to play a key role in helping in reconstruction efforts and lending their expertise to get Libya up on her feet again. Whether the new administration will work with the US Libya Business Association, USLBA member companies, and draw on them as a resource to enact US foreign policy goals in Libya, this is really anyone's guess. I hope a synergy can be achieved, but I've seen no example of this collaboration happening or even inklings of it as of yet. However, it would certainly stand to reason that Secretary Tillerson understands the huge behemoths of skill that he can access in the American private sector, and that given his own private sector experience, he would draw on them. Whether Trump will in fact nominate a special POTUS envoy or a State Department envoy to uh, replace our esteemed colleague here, will he give him enough power to throw that stick around to not only coordinate the allies abroad, but coordinate the interagency problem inside the US? Who knows? Will he also have the ability to incentivize the US private sector? Again, no one knows if Trump will appoint such a person and create that powerhouse that would be needed to get these things done. I think there's a decent chance for this to happen. Um, but all I possess is a murky crystal ball. It's clear to me that if Libya is going to work and be a key part in the global fight against ISIS and jihadism, obviously it needs to provide jobs for its citizenry. We need to have bottom-up structures like the whole panel has said. I don't see them at the regional level. I see the regional level as another bugaboo. And if you look into Libyan history, there really has never been regional government, neither under the BMA nor in the Ottoman period. Um, so I see it needing to happen at the local level. And that local capacity building needs every sort of development agency and the private sector in the US and elsewhere. And without that, the concerns that this administration might have about security, migrants, radicalization, arms trafficking, I don't see any of that being able to be dealt with. Um, what's the hope here? The hope, of course, is that the Trump administration might see Libya as a legacy issue. They'd like to see Obama, they'd like to see a success where they perceive Obama and Hillary failing on the Libya file, as I've defined it. So I hope that even if they're doing it for domestic political goals, they'll get out in front of this Libya issue. They'll seek to align the allies, and not just align them for international best practices of mediation, but for throwing down serious sticks. Oh, UAE, oh, Qatar, you didn't do what we said. There'll be repercussions in other economic or strategic dealings. Libya is now a top priority. And once that happens and we have that kind of impetus, I see the question as being not what happens for US businesses in supporting Trump administration objectives in Libya, but rather, why don't we reverse it? How will the Trump administration see Western business concerns in Libya as a key tool to get the country back up on its feet again? And when you look at all the, the main questions that the, the country faces, I can only see private sector solutions for them. So we haven't discussed today 
letters of credit, back payments, devaluation to the dinar, the gap between the black market and official rates. Um, all of these things can only be addressed with some role of international private sector. So I see the role of Western countries in helping the Libyan authorities as incentivizing the role of the international private sector in helping provide solutions and helping Libya out of this moment of whether you call it dysfunction or political turmoil. And it, you know, it's not gonna be, it's not gonna be easy, but leadership on the international level will allow a business and private sector driven solution, hopefully, to arise in Libya from the local level and moving in a bottom-up way in parallel with the political process about which we've spoke. Thank you, Jenny. Hazel, do you want to say something? Yeah, just one thing. I, 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 yeah, please. Uh, I don't think it's, it's the right approach to speak about ISIS without speaking about extremism in general. There are other groups in Libya who are extremists. So let's not only focus on ISIS and leave others, such as Al-Qaeda and others, uh, who are also groups that are of concern. Now today we're speaking about the uh, brigade, the Benghazi brigade that uh, entered the, uh, uh, the um, crescent, the oil crescent. And some of, the, uh, Egypt has, has overtly said that some of these elements are Al-Qaeda. And also there are also allegations that some of uh, Haftar's groups are uh, extreme Salafists. So it's not as easy as one group that we had to focus on and, 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 and leave others who are infiltrated within the political, actually, uh, political negotiations and the political process. Uh, this has to be clear, uh, in my opinion, yeah. and not only to concentrate on ISIS. The other thing is, the other thing is, fighting extremism is not the, the, the work of Libyans only. This is the work of the world. Don't ask Libyans too much. <laughs> I mean, uh, we heard today from both uh, Jason and, and, and Mr. Weiner that there is too much involvement of international uh, states, uh, of foreign states in Libya. It's too much. What I heard today, it's too, too much. So don't ask Libyans to solve this issue. It's not a Libyan issue anymore. It's, a, it, it's, for, it's out of our hands now. And therefore, the, the pressure should be made and coordination should be made among these states to stop. They have to stop. And, 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 and the fact that we need assistance for, to fight terrorism or illegal migration, it's an assistant, it's cooperation. It's not an assistant, actually. It's cooperation of the world, because we are in the heart of the world. We are in the Mediterranean basin, and all of these countries are going to be affected of, of what's taking place. But I want to uh, say, as well, I, say, I mentioned that yeah. and it was like 13 groups, not just yes, um, yes. ISIS. No, like I agree, you said that. 13. Yeah. With regard to Mr. Uh, Weiner, you said that uh, the system of uh, building up police and, and, and army didn't work. Well, also, the approach was wrong. You can't just send, send people without proper vetting to Turkey and England. And other. The, the, the vetting inside Libya was not right and that from the start. And also, my question here is, do we need an army, frankly? Do we need army in Libya? <laughs> uh, do, don't we need more police? Why, well, why are we concentrating much on army? The French tried training police. The French yes, had a program yes. to train no, no, 3,500 yeah, yeah, police. I agree, but, but they you, got 35 trained. Yes, I didn't interrupt you. So <laughs> just let me finish. I did, but, but what happened in England with some of the people who were sent there, it's a failure. And, and there is something that went wrong. You, you can't just divide people and say, you go to Turkey to, be, to, to have a, a different allegiance 
than someone who went to, to, uh, to, the, uh, to the UK. This is not how we build an army. Uh, meanwhile, in my opinion, the approach should have been to get these young people out of the army and not to absorb them, absorb them within the army. Why not thinking that way? Why taking them out of the army, the militias, rather than pushing them hard and, and make them uh, an official army? Thank you. But as a, 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 no one mentioned the times. Like, we start finding solutions, I'll try to find solutions. After a while, like, after they spread in the, in the country. Like, it's not, it's not from, like, they didn't contain it from the beginning, or like from 2000, I will say, from 11 up to 13. They know up to that time we have a kind of um, extremism, but no one tried to find a solution before it gets separate in the whole, in the whole country. After it gets separate and after it becomes uh, really dangerous, serious dangerous and serious threat, here we start thinking, oh, Libya start become a really serious problem, not just in, in, in Africa, in Europe, and in the whole world, because the situation, also the, the geographic um, location of Libya, it's a threat. It's sure. good and bad. Sure. I see. I see your point. However, th th that was a product of the appeasement of the militias. I mean, it was just here in this yeah. room that Karim and I launched a paper two years ago explaining what happened in the 2011-2013 period, and I think it is is vastly incorrect to lay this uh, this pr particular problem um, on the international community. It was a deliberate strategy of Jibril El Kib and. Uh, Ali Zidane to appease the militias, to bring them into their own security apparatus by paying what amounted to bribes, which were you know, the quote-unquote salaries. And this problem has continued uh, with the Tobruk-Tripoli split. I like to point out, and, and many of you know, but it is so humorous, it, it, it always bears repeating, that this is the first civil war in history where one entity has paid both sides of the civil war, the Central it's Bank of Libya. That's what I meant, I was simply um, And it's certainly the first time in history that all sides of a civil war have been financed by, by one, one entity. And that really is the underpinning of the growth of not only the Islamic State, but all of the jihadi actors in Libya. And their understanding that financing mechanism and that a tendency towards appeasement has to factor into a different approach. I see a stick-driven approach towards the nascent Libyan authorities, both at the local and international level, rather than a carrot-driven approach, which I believe has failed. Sure. One last comment, so John. It's clear that we should not have moved ahead to create a general purpose force. The British training failed, the Italian training failed, the Turkish training failed, the United States training, which involved extensive vetting, didn't, didn't get started because we did so much vetting. In order to avoid everything else, you excluded everyone else. Yes. And um, we would have gotten ahead, we would have been able to make it work, of course, if Ali Zidane or Al Thini had signed the pieces of paper required to start it up, but that wasn't the case. The French decided merely to train police because police should become controversial. That failed because they couldn't get people to train. Clearly, it was wrong to maintain militias, and we clearly needed to go after terrorists, though clearly not with an army or a general purpose force or with militias or police. Um, uh, it does leave a question as to what the right approach would be. Um, school teachers? Um, I don't think that would have necessarily been a better approach. So it is very easy for us to criticize every single approach was, that was tried because they all failed. Um, everything that I tried to do in terms of assistance the time I was special envoy failed. All of it. 
Um, I'm sure that's because of gaps in my competence. Um, but while I look at my competence, I turn to USAID, I turn to DFID, DFID I turn to the, our excellent Italian colleagues, our Turkish colleagues, our Egyptian colleagues. The only people who have been successful, as near as I can tell, are the Sudanese um, um, in uh, providing arms um, and the Emiratis in providing vehicles, which were photographed, and the Egyptians in providing planes with their tail numbers that were changed and photographed and sent in the panel of experts report. Everybody else's assistance programs weren't successful. So we focused on political things where we had a little more success, but insufficient. I still believe security is an issue, that there need to be domestic security forces that are integrated. Uh, they need to be human rights respecting and non-political in their orientation. That they should incorporate people from the former Libyan National Army. Um, that they need to be geographically diverse and subject to civilian control. Those are my conclusions. It is true that Daesh controlled territory and was exploiting territory. That is gone now. You have AQIM cells. You have al-Marabatine <coughs> cells. Uh, you have uh, Ansar al-Sharia cells. But you don't have anyone uh, exploiting substantial amounts of Libyan resources and territory, which is why I focused on uh, Daesh. The problem of extremism continues to be a real one. It can best be, I think, countered um, through providing young men opportunities that don't involve gang activity. Again, gangs, guns, girls, uh, glory, God, all mixed up together, which is a very powerful mix in any country. And so finding that alternative becomes very important. Uh, that's how I see it at this point. Thank you very much. Now, we have about 10, 15 minutes for, for, for a few questions. Please, address your question, present, introduce yourself, and address your question to one of the panelists. And make sure there is a question mark at the end of the... <laughs> Do you really want to ask a question? Are you sure? Uh, a couple of things I wanted to just comment on is that I, I'm sick and tired of talks about inclusion, that this process is inclusive, this is the only process uh, possible. The truth is, it has not been inclusive. There are swaths of Libyans that have not been included in any part of the discussions. Uh, not least of them are the tribal alliances that still hold allegiances to Gaddafi, for example, who have been systematically, which is equivalent to what happened in Iraq. And that's why they will not participate in a stable uh, Libya anymore. <clears throat> so that's, that's one comment. The second is the extremism and these groups in Libya are, is like as I said, I mean, I, I know some secularist extremist groups in Libya and radicals. Um, there are some Islamists who think every other Islamist is a radical except themselves. Uh, it, there is no way to do this. The, the practicality of the matter, the reality of the matter, no matter what we talk, the solution will have to be, like it or not, will be a military brutality that will enforce uh, rules on the ground. That's the end of the story. We have one question here. This, this gentleman here. Mohamed Shina, Voice of America. My question is, with rival powers in Libya refusing to compromise, what is the most practical solution to end the civil war in Libya? <laughs> this is one of the big discussions. To whom do you want to ask this question? 
Okay, go here, there's one here. Uh, Ken Meyer, Gord, retiree, I have the solution. Uh, <laughs> and it's the exact <laughs> opposite go. of uh, Ms. Mugger's uh, c conclusion that uh, the solution has been taken out of the hands of the Libyans and it's up to the international community. Uh, what about banning the uh, interference of all outsiders in Libyan affairs, uh, whether it's foreign militias, uh, foreigners, coming to fight with the militias or whoever providing arms and guns or the UN trying to oppose a government on Libya. Is there no hope of, of banning uh, these outsiders uh, from interfering in Libyan affairs? Could I take this one first? Yes, but let me get another one. I, I, I'll <laughs> ask said, people to answer the question mark. There is no question mark. He said the opposite of what you said. Yes. And I know. Yes, it's happening the opposite exactly of what I'm saying. My name is Michael Albin. I'm an independent researcher. I would like to follow up on this gentleman's comment about the tribes. Uh, uh, Libya is uh, shot full of tribes whose, uh, whose role in, the, uh, in, in uh, the problems of the last few years have been very opaque. And do, do they have a role at all, or are they simply incorporated into the militias and the, uh, or the extremist elements? Thank you. Okay. You want to start answering? You want to start Judon first? So when I'm talking about U.S. leadership on this issue, it's precisely in boxing out the foreign meddling. That's, so w what you're saying is I exactly what I've always been um, hoping Western leadership would be, um, both from the Tobruk-Tripoli split uh, until the current situation that, that we're in. So I mean, we're seeing, we're seeing completely eye to eye there that the, the correct way to deal with the Libya file is to tell the Russians and the Egyptians, we don't want you meddling by supporting one actor over another. To get to, the, to, to what Jonathan was saying, a not each side backing its, its, its patron. And obviously that requires Libyan leadership to want to have the Libyan-Libyan dialogue process. Um, to transition to the question of the role of tribes, this can be over-talked about, right? So there are neo-tribal actors, meaning people who draw on emotional and familial ties, but they're not technically tribes. Misrata is not a tribe, for example, and then Various militias in the Nafusa Mountains, Arab ones such as Zintan and Rajban, draw on uh, tribal loyalties, but they don't exactly focus as tribes. And then if we look in the east, for example, the Saada tribes, the historically noble tribes that were connected to the Senussiya movement, um, they focus as tribes, but their tribal structures are still segmentary, and they operate differently in a 21st century context than they did when Evans Pritchard was describing them. So you can't look at the tribe itself as something like, aha, take me to the leader of the Barasa or the uh, Fawakir, because it just doesn't work that way. Tribal loyalties overlap with loyalties towards things like local councils and Haftar or the GNA or specific monetary patrons. And it, they do need to be studied, but in a competing matrix of loyalty, like to go back to the idea of you could be from New Jersey, but also be a Methodist, but also really love your alma mater of Harvard, right? So the, the tribe is only one aspect of, of a complex competing of loyalties. But the tribal loyalty could be a part of the solution in Libya because of the traditional mechanisms built into the Libyan tribal structure, such as mablag adam, meaning blood money, to prevent uh, conflict of getting out of hand. So we need to obviously use traditional uh, resolution mechanisms where they could be useful, overlapping with all of these other uh, mechanisms and, and loyalties. Keeping in mind that Libya in the last 30 years had 70% urbanization rate. So from, from what was a mainly, mainly countrywide 
country centered uh, country be, mm -hmm. became into the cities, moved into the cities and became an urbanized society for a large part of it. Yeah. Uh, Alsa, you want to say something? No, no, I just want to say that I wish someone can tell these people to, to pull out of Libya. There's the, just the situation is impossible. That's why I cannot give uh, any, any, this is, this is the reality. The reality is the geographic uh, setting of Libya, where it is located, and all of these, it's only one hour from Tripoli to Rome, by the way, by flight. So just see how, how approximate Libya so is to the, to, the, to the southern of Europe. It's, it's now, that's the, that's the reality. And I can, I, I, when I heard Mr. Jo Jonathan Weiner speaking and how much these countries are involved in Libya, we have to deal with it as, 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 as it is. We can't just imagine that they will pull out one day. It's impossible. So how can we deal with this situation? But Libya, don't also forget that Libya is, has only six million inhabitants. That's all. It's a small district in Cairo. <laughs> and and with all of, why, why the world, the whole world, cannot help solving this, this, this issue of, of six million people? Why? Is it that complicated? Israel and Palestine getting, is only eight and, getting, and a half million and people. It's getting, no, it's getting even more complicated than complicated. So I don't see the foreign intervention is providing any assistance to Libya, to the contrary, in my opinion. And this is my opinion. Dan, you had a question. Daniel Serwood, Professor of Johns Hopkins Sice. Uh, I'm interested in the question of who should take leadership in the international community, and Jason has made a strong argument for the United States. I can't conceive that that argument would work under current circumstances. And I can think of a much stronger argument for Italy to take the leadership, or at least for Europe to take the leadership. So why shouldn't we look to a division of labor in which the Europeans stand up to this problem? They have a great deal to gain from resolving it. Uh, and and we, frankly, are preoccupied elsewhere. One last question, the, the gentleman behind me. Yeah, my question is, uh, given the fact that there are so many militias with guns, should there be a need for UN military interventions to disarm them or to stabilize Libya? Okay, let's take that. Sorry, I can go. Hi, Brian Stout, Foreign Policy Magazine. My question is for both Ambassador Weiner and Jason. Absent a grand consensus um, that you say should happen, to what extent would you agree with the assertion that U.S. and Russian interests in Libya converge uh, more than they conflict? And the longer the U.S. avoids constructive engagement with Khalifa Haftar, do you think risk of losing post-conflict Libya to the Russian sphere of influence increases? Sure. Um, the United States has not avoided constructive engagement with Haftar. That premise is wrong. Yeah, I agree. Um, I met with him twice in 2016. One meeting was eight hours long. The other was five hours long. Um, the condition for U.S. military support for any Libyan player is that that Libyan actor or player is part of the government that we recognize. It's very straightforward. Uh, Haftar is invited to support the civilian government. He becomes part of the civilian government. Civilian government wants him to get support from uh, us or others. He can get it. So the premise is wrong. Um, we would like to see the major players come together and work together on a transitional basis, 
until the next elections. That would make for a stronger, more stable, more prosperous Libya. That was the core of the policy. Uh, in terms of who takes the lead, in the last years of the Obama administration, the United States worked very closely with France, the United Kingdom, Italy, on an ongoing basis, sometimes to work with uh, UAE and Egypt, sometimes to do outreach with Algeria, sometimes to do outreach with Qatar or Turkey, and sometimes in a constellation. There were a series of ministerials. Italy is well positioned in light of Paolo Gentiloni's deep knowledge of Libya and overall role in the Italian government to take an extremely influential role um, in Europe and in the Mediterranean on these issues if Italy decides it's in their interests. If Italy does so, it will, uh, as we would, need to do it with the French, the Brits, the Russians, um, the Algerians, the Egyptians, and other players, important actors, uh, who care about uh, that country. Germany, UAE, for example. And that's appropriate. There has to be an uh, integrated and aligned approach. Uh, in the end, US and Russia do have similar interests in Libya, along with everybody else. A stable country that's not divided, that's united. A country that's pumping enough oil to meet the needs of its people. A country where uh, uh, conflict is managed without people killing one another. A country that's able to build a, build a future for its young people. A country that's able to deal with the immigration issue and stop being a transit area for criminal groups moving people from Africa into Europe. It's in everybody's interest. Will Russia play around to try and get a warm water port and create that as a possible option for itself? Sure, they like fishing in troubled waters. If there's an opportunity here to upset the Americans and reshape the balance and dynamics of power, they're going to likely explore that. But people explore all kinds of things without necessarily making dangerous decisions. You know, it's one thing to create an option for yourself. It's another thing to carry out that option. We saw Haftar sign pieces of paper aboard that Russian aircraft carrier, resplendent in his uniform. Nobody's made public what those documents are yet. Maybe they were fake. Could be. <laughs> Could be fake news. I don't know. Um, but um, in the end, the interests are most fundamentally aligned. Even for Sudan. Sudan likes selling weapons, you know, opportunistically. But in the end, it doesn't need to have an unstable border either. So I still believe there are tremendous opportunities to bring Libya together. Um, outsiders need not to exploit Libyan intra-Libyan tensions. And Libyans need not to allow outsiders to exploit those tensions or to gain advantage over other Libyans. And that gets to the point of Libyans saying, you invited the Russians in, you invited the Americans in, you invited the Italians in. It's time for Libya to be run by Libyans. And that impulse will constantly play out potentially to stabilize things. Thank you. you want to have a foreign role that's reasonable and that is consistent with Libyan sovereignty and Libyan strength. And uh, that th these, these values are so obvious, it seems to me, that we ought to all continue to work towards them at a practical level. Thank you. Thank you. We have just a very few minutes left. So I'd like to give each one, if you want to touch it, and then. Yeah. So I completely, completely agree with the important point that all foreign countries essentially have the same interest, and Libya shouldn't be a partisan issue. We want to see United Libya exporting enough oil that it uh, can support itself and that Libyans are prosperous enough that their young people don't join Daesh. I don't see 
that Europe can succeed in playing the key interlocutor to help the Libyans get there. And, and that's a big change for me because I used to think that the UK could be the mediator of the mediators, uh, Daniel, and I don't see that now because the Italians and the Brits lack the clout on the international stage to throw down the gauntlet to the Emirates or the Egyptians or the Russians. If you do X to destabilize or to work with these proxy actors, we will retaliate with Y. I used to believe that the Brits had that ability because of their historic ties uh, in the Gulf region, but we've seen that they're not able to. They you know, are forced by their other concerns and Brexit and other things to, in a way, cede some of that international leadership role. Only the US uh, has the ability to do those things. And we've even seen that in the Ukraine crisis. It's Europe's back door, but that doesn't allow the EU to lead on Ukraine, right? Um, because the EU doesn't have one unified foreign policy. It doesn't have one unified military force. So US hard power and economic power and the coherence of our institutions um, means that even if the Europeans have greater interests in Libya, we seem to be the last man standing in terms of the ability to truly box out these uh, spoiler actors. And for me, to use that stick uh, against those who are making it impossible for the Libyans to try to work together and move forward on their problems. So a compelling case for, for US leadership in Libya, maybe not, but last man standing. And if the US doesn't step up, no one will. And we'll see the squabbling between uh, all these other actors fighting for crumbs from the table. Yeah, what I will say, I, what I want to say that about the solutions um, of, of, um, of Libya's, as I mentioned at the beginning, that it should be kind of start locally, start from the ground, then go up, or um, work both sides, like start working nationality and also locally. This is um, one of the um, um, solutions in and, and, and Libya. And I agree with half of that. We should also um, involve all the parts. I mean, um, come on, now we are like now six years or like almost seven years in from the revolution. So there is no more um, names like who was with the Gaddafi or who was not. Um, I think it should be the solution in both sides from the people, Libyan's people from outside and also Libyan's people from inside and should be involved. And it should be involved, uh, from my point of view, um, um, more locally, more, I mean, from the ground. We should break the militias. We, we should think how we can break the militias. It's, it's, um, it's sometimes it's, it's, it's too easy and too, too difficult to take that because like we have them, um, the guns, the weapons, and also the, ideology or like the people they already like involved with I will say like militias or like the gangs way or gangs thinking. This is, and I hope we have more discussion about solutions, not about what happens before up to now. I think it's clear what's happened from before up to now, but we need to discuss more solutions, more um, uh, options, how we can solve or resolve um, the situation in Libya. Um, I think that this, uh, this situation now in Libya has be began with uh, the foreign, foreigner intervention. And so I think that it's really time to change 
and uh, to change our mind, uh, both. By the Libyan part, it has to really want a united Libya and a country first, Libyan first, because every revolution comes from within, inside. So um, first of all, this is the, the most important thing that we have to think, and I'm telling to you that then you will go back, mm -hmm. and this is the point. So Libyans have, must want a Libya united, a country. Secondly, of course, it's time for the foreign countries that they have to just help in this kind of uh, unifying uh, process. Because otherwise, if we have uh, Russians uh, giving uh, men, weapons, uh, machines, tools, uh, Emirates, uh, uh, airplanes, and so on, it will be always uh, uh, a civil war, of course, because they have spoiled the process, the normal process of, uh, let's say, uh, natural selection at a political level, you know, giving money, weapons to one actor or the other in the Libyan country, in the Libyan texture. So it's time to say enough. Because until we will have foreigners acting in this way, in this way, no peace for Libya, I think. Thank you. Alsa? Yeah, um, I'm just going to go back to the fact that, in my opinion, again, that there is no coordination between uh, states who are intervening in, in the Libyan uh, uh, situation. And I think the fact that, that there's conflict in Libya means that there is no coordination between these states intervening uh, in Libya. Uh, I don't think that Italy can play a role in uh, that regard because Italy has special interests in Libya. And because also Italy is bound by the 2008 <laughs> uh, uh, friendship agreement that says and uh, stipulates clearly that Italy should not intervene in the uh, internal affairs of Libya as much as Libya should not intervene in the... Uh, so we have to look at the legal uh, sides of the matter. It's not only politics. We don't give a blind eye to certain things because we want things to function. No, there, there are something called legal here, legal aspects that we have to respect and we have to concentrate upon. The last question is how, uh, how uh, what is the exit of, 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 for Libya? I think uh, a general ceasefire uh, by which the uh, international interveners in Libya, the states who are intervening in Libya should take responsibility not to stop intervening and stop uh, helping one group uh, against yes, the other. other. Uh, during the ceasefire, elections should be taking place, which is the revival of the democratization process. We did so well. We had three general elections. Don't forget that. That, went, that were very successful. Uh, we had handover of, of, of power uh, for the first time it, it, that happened in Libya. Uh, we, we, uh, I, I think we had, uh, let's say, symptoms of democracy in Libya. Why can't we revive it today? Why can't we revive it? This is a big question. Thank you very much. Jonathan. Um, I have yet to find any country that has sent any weapons to Libya, with except of Sudan. <laughs> the Sudanese foreign minister told me he sent them into both sides. But everybody else has denied it. Everyone else is abiding by it, including when they've been had their stuff fo uh, photographed violating it. So it's a little hard to get people to say they're going to stop when they refuse to acknowledge they, that they're, they're doing it in the first place. It, it is a bit of a problem. Um, I, alignment internationally, I, I th continue thinks to be critical. Inclusion uh, as broad as possible, including ex-Qaddafiites, ex-Salafiists, or any other title of people who are willing to participate in the political process is tremendously important. 
Um, we're in a legal regime right now in Libya where, because of the amendments of the Constitutional Declaration, um, we're in murky territory. The uh, political agreement that was signed was defective on its face because neither Martin Coburn nor Bernardino Leon kept it up to update it as the political process changed. So a bunch of the deadlines of it were already um, out on the day it was signed. So uh, the principle of legality is a difficult one to put into place right now, absent that getting the basic politics right. We need to continue to work on that. On the business and economic side, there's an enormous amount of work to do. The central bank and the Libyan National Oil Corporation are still mostly unitary institutions, but they're challenged in a variety of ways. The LIA, has, the Libyan Investment Authority, has at least three competing teams of people who claim to run it. So ultimately, there's going to have to be elections that, sort, that get somebody elected and sort all of that out so that you can strengthen legitimacy at the national level. And hopefully, whoever is legitimate at the national level will then have the good common sense to start uh, getting resources out at the local level so things can be built up locally, which is the way the country can re-strengthen itself and build itself in the future. The diversity of views reflected here uh, today actually align, if you think about it from that point of view. Um, in terms of blaming people from the past, I'm happy to blame every single person um, sitting here, uh, all of you, um, um, uh, anybody else who's ever thought the word Libya because you can't really point to anyone having been remarkably successful in achieving a vision that's con uh, consistent with uh, where Libya should have been. And so diagnosis is um, being able to carry out actions effectively on behalf of Libyans with the consent of enough other Libyans to make it work. So Libyans fighting one another locally uh, continues to be a really huge problem. And I don't mean just physical conflict, I mean bureaucratic conflict. And finding some way to get uh, from that to something where we'll compromise, let's deal, let's solve problems is going to be very important work for the time to come. Everybody needs to be working together on that, whether you're a, a Libyan or somebody trying to help Libya. Uh, that's how I see it. Thank you. Thank you very much, Please join me in thanking our panelists for the conference.